Oh, she's done it. Brilliantly executed. Incredible stuff. The whole family are watching on in anticipation. And yes, there's the final nail in the chicken coop. Dad's been promising to build for a decade. And don't the kids just love it. Coming in for the final turn. He's gone to the left, a little bit to the right. Dodged the hills, hoist. Grass clippings flying in his wake. Precision mowing doesn't get any better than that. They've really set their sights high for this one. A pizza oven, water feature and a new deck all by the end of lockdown but is it too much too soon only time will tell he's a do-it-yourself legend in the making welcome to the sport of gardening here's your host dale vine and jay neal yes hello and welcome to the sport of gardening whether you're listening to us via podcast or on this mother's day morning right around australia on ecn thanks for joining us we did start this show dale vine my co-host in the midst of the coronavirus lockdown a couple of weeks ago And it's becoming clear that people are enjoying their gardening. They've done it in ISO and they're going to keep doing it. Welcome, Dale Vine. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) Yes, what a weekend too. Mother's Day. I hope you're going to get spoiled today. (laughs) I really hope there is some sort of handmade card or some sort of craft project waiting for me because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And what's Mother's Day traditionally like for you, Dale? Of course, you are a landscape gardener. You're otherwise known as Dale from the block your lovely partner Sophie and yourself in 2012 won a substantial amount of money on the block, but now you're doing the dad thing and your business. What's Mother's Day like for you? Mother's Day's sort of changed for us, I suppose, a little bit in the last five years since having kids now. So it kind of all the focus was on um, both Sophie and my own mothers, and now Sophie's a mother herself. So um, the focus has sort of gone to Sophie, and I've got to remember to um, do something nice for my actual mother as well on the same day. So um, yeah, it's, I sort of celebrate it for two people now. Which and is- what's your mum's name? Bernadette, yep. Hello, Bernadette, and it's lovely to have you listening this morning as well. To all the mums, to the mother figures, to the grandmas, to the aunties, to people who don't necessarily have children themselves that fulfil a mothering role in someone's life, we salute you today. That's right, absolutely. (laughs) Blokes need a mother, whether it's their actual mother or not. We're terrible. (laughs) That's a whole conversation (laughs) for another show, perhaps. Now... We have got a great show coming up because there are so many people who are keen to jump on board the sport of gardening. Of course, not so much sport around at the moment. We are seeing some racing happening around the country. We are seeing movement in the NRL camp. There are training hubs happening, lots of movement. But as of yet, not so much sport around. So we've got lots of people with plenty of time to join us on the show. We're actually going to catch up with a mate of yours, Chris, from Grassroots Synthetic Lawns in Geelong. It's about. Grassroots Synthetic Lawns. (laughs) Who's got a really amazing tip and product uh, recommendation for us? Yeah, I won't give it away uh, this early, but it definitely is something that I walked into his showroom and his factory and I thought, wow, that's something I haven't seen before in the industry. So yeah, very cool. We like a new product. We're also going to speak with Liam O'Keefe, who is the man to talk to at Flemington when it comes to turf. They're gearing up for another race meet there, but I kind of want to know... Like, I think that's a lot of pressure, don't you, Dale? But oh, I wouldn't want that pressure. Your job is to make this turf perfect for racing on this day. Go. Yeah, well, I've got... <laughs> 
about a 20 square metre lawn at our house and it's hard <laughs> enough maintaining that and keeping it looking nice. But if you can imagine all the traffic that they get with the horses running on it, it would just be a nightmare. But obviously he uh, knows what he's doing because they look good on tally every time they race there. Absolutely. We'll get some uh, track secrets from Liam. We're also going to give you some Mother's Day gift recommendations and meet the untangled gardener, Sarah Graham, who I've just met, and I think she may have my dream gardening job. We'll find all about that very soon. And right now, it's time for an ISO update. While we're still in relative lockdown, your team, the Bombers, Yeah. how much do you love them? Oh, I love them a lot. Why? Are you a supporter from, like, teenage years oh. from birth? Uh, I'll tell you, I I had a neighbour who was a very pushy old woman and she was a, a massive Carlton supporter. And uh, before I was old enough to think, she was throwing Carlton down my throat, basically. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah, there was probably a year where I was um, just talking and and uh, she was saying, you're barrack for Carlton, you're barrack for Carlton. And uh, that only lasted until I... You know, developed a brain big enough to know that um, that wasn't the way to go. And Essendon, Essendon was a smarter choice. But back then, both teams were flying. I think Carlton and Essendon, both in grannies. And but yeah, I went to a dentist appointment one day. Mum said, "Oh, if you if you go really well in there, we can get you a AFL flag from the news agents, which is about the only toy big shop deal, in, yeah, yeah. in the in the country." And um, I thought, "You beauty," and I sort of got down there and. Yeah, it was a big decision. I was like, "Oh, which team do I get this flag for?" And I and I picked Essendon. So um, that so was it. So it could have gone. It could have gone, gone either way back pushy then. Pushy neighbour influence. Yeah. Or Essendon, yeah. and thanks to the limited stock Thank of supply God. at the Oyen <laughs> Post Office, <laughs> you've gone for the bonus. Good on your Oyen Post Office, yeah. Well, we want to introduce you now to James Kelly, who is a great of the club. Here's just a little taste of James's work back when he was playing. Kelly's good, isn't he? We knew that. How good was that? Good tackle by Kelly. Kelly gets Prismal. It's a great tackle, Kelly. Off the ground, Kelly, goal! Running away from his own goal to Kelly. Good evasion by Kelly. Wonderful finish by Kelly. Menzel to Kelly, goal. Outside of the boot from Kelly. Very cute. So Kelly's just oh. uh, loving it. Oh. A little contender there, a little mini, yeah. mini mark of the week for James Kelly. There it is! Beyond the shadow of a doubt, the Cats proved themselves as one of the greatest teams of the modern era. Premierships 07, 09 and now 2011, three and five years. A triple treat for a sensational football side. Oh, yes, a little taste of James Kelly's work. Thanks to afl.com.au for that audio. He is a 313-game player with Geelong and Essendon. Of course, premiership-winning team in 2007, 9 and 11 with the Cats. Uh, retired once or twice, uh, Dale, and he joins us today. Hello, James. How are you? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank God he retired and then came back because uh, <laughs> that's that's the part that I loved him playing for the Bombers, Jane. <laughs> Well, I was sort of doing yeah. a little research, James. It's like, okay, retired, came back, was possibly retired. So do you look back on your career and just think it was a little complicated at the end or are you glad you played for as long as you did? 
Yeah, look, oh, look, it's a bit of both, to be honest. I'm, I'm glad I came back and played an extra couple of years, but for someone who doesn't like things to be overcomplicated, it ended up a bit, uh, yeah, a bit different at the end, but um, enjoyable nonetheless. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and he gave the Bombers heaps too for a couple of seasons that he was there. So we really relied on him, and and still there today, mate. So loving the club still. Yeah, still there, still um, hanging in there somehow. So. It's been good. I like. I, I love the club. I've, I've supported Essendon as a kid, so to be able to be there and contribute and help out and all that sort of stuff gives me a real buzz. And it's a great place to work and good people, all that sort of stuff. So it's a really good club. I love it. Now, James, things are starting to sort of open up a little bit, but of course we can't ignore the fact we've all been down in lockdown in COVID-19 restrictions. How's that really affected your day-to-day? What what have the hours been like for you between working and trying to keep yourself from going completely stir-crazy in the garden? (laughs) Well, it's been a bit... I wrote myself a list of stuff I wanted to do at the start of it all. My wife works and she went to work full-time when the world went mad and I've just been home with the two kids so over the eight week period I've just been keeping myself sane by gradually ticking things off off the list and it's been a bit slower than I would have hoped with a a five-year-old and a two-year-old helping you out in the garden tends to slow things down a little bit but that's sort of been my my thing I wrote a list and I've gradually been working my way through it I'm just about done what sort of stuff was on the list mate what was at the top uh, at the top, I needed to trim some trees. Uh, number two was build a pizza oven, which is nearly done. Gee whiz. Plant some, new, plant some new trees, fix up the veggie garden, trim the potosterums, paint the cubby house. That's a, uh, that's a full-time uh, list, all right. Yeah. And you Special did that all with kids, kids helping out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like with, with the kids, as you know, you've got kids, it sort of happens in 15-minute intervals. Yeah. One of them is there and they help and the other one decides he wants to help and then they both start fighting over the same shovel and <laughs> you go back inside and that's the joy of it but and then of it course fun. james of course then you finish something or you're almost about to finish something that's like dad i want a snack and, yeah yeah or, or the nice garden that you've just mulched all of a sudden gets dug up and all the mulch is on the back lawn and yeah they're making stews the in joys. a fire pit pot or something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just regular type stuff. So tell us about the pizza oven. This is a pretty uh, a substantial DIY project. Dale, have you ever built one before? I haven't built one. I've used plenty of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's on my list, to be honest, as well. So I'm uh, I'm actually quite interested to see how James went about it so I can uh, recreate it. Look, I can't, I can't say that I've been doing a whole heap of the construction, you know, I have to be honest, but it's more... I've more planned it out and organised the space for it. One of my friends is a chippy. He's come around. I helped him sort of build a frame and another mate's a concreter. He's poured a concrete slab for the bench top, all that sort of stuff. So it's slowly coming together. I've just got to paint it and then um, deck the outside sort of bottom, put some doors on it and then tip the pizza oven on top. So yeah, nice. it's been a bit of a process, but it's kept me entertained, which has been fun. <laughs> yeah, you're good. And who from the Bombers is in your sort of top? Like, we may be restricted in Victoria to about 10 people when things finally get back to pizza oven party at my house. Who's coming to the Kelly house? <laughs> who, who's on your sort of top of your list, James? Who do you want to hang out with? Who do I want to hang out with? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good question. I'd say Dyson Heppel, Michael Hurley, Darcy Parrish, Andy McGrath, Marty Gleeson. Uh, Aaron Francis. That's a pizza party. Connor McKenna. Probably get a few pizzas down. Yeah, I reckon it's pretty good. It's a good place to start, I reckon. Mostly defenders, but I did coach the mids last year, so 
a couple of those boys are, are good eggs. And how are you finding the guys are holding up? Do you sort of have regular contact with them? Are you trying to check in with them? Are we seeing big Zoom meetings with all of those guys? Or how are you just sort of giving people time to, to cope with the day-to-day at the moment? Uh, it's a little bit of both. We've had sort of – I coach the back line now, so we've had – defensive group Zoom meetings. We've had a couple of guys sort of on house party just having a drink together and individual calls, just sort of generally keeping everyone connected as best you can. Um, it is a balance, though, like you're saying. You sort of want to let them know that you're thinking about them and that they're still connected to the group and the footy club, but you don't want to, you know, every day be giving them a call and then they're sick of your voice by the time we get back to training. So everyone's got their own pressures and stress in this sort of environment we're in at the moment. So we're just trying to manage that as best we can but um, it's been good it's been a different way to connect and forces you to communicate in a different way which is uh, never a bad thing funny how um, it opens up other doors and uh, just provides new avenues of speaking with everybody really and so who's the biggest pest when it comes to like a zoom meeting and who's dressing up and wearing something stupid when you um, all turn on the camera and have a look at each other during a little backline meeting well, it's usually Mason Redman. He doesn't um, he doesn't dress up, but every time we've had one of those meetings, he's either been uh, on his boat fishing, or he's been in the car getting ready to go fishing, or he's just been back from shooting or something like that. He lives his family are sort of fishing family. They fish craze out of South Australia. He's always doing something like that. So I think he's actually living the dream, being home, being able to fish and shoot and go flying with his grandfather and all that sort of stuff. So. Every time we're on the phone with him, he's in some different spot fishing, but he, he doesn't – it's not a gag. He just loves doing it. He's just living, living the, the life. Yeah, good on him. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, James, great to hear that the pizza oven is nearly done. Uh, Favourite topping? What, what would you recommend the boys who are going to get an invite to come round with bring? I'm happy just to do the pizzas. They can bring the beer, but I like pineapple on pizza, and it's potentially controversial. Um, <laughs> but that'll be the discussion when we come round. I don't know what, what, how you guys feel about it, but when they come round, if someone brings pineapple, then they can be a part of the crew. If not, then we might have to have a chat. Beers and pineapple for the Kelly household. Thank you so much, James. We look forward, of course, to the resumption of AFL in 2020. However the season looks, we are going to be there with bells on. But thanks for letting us know that life is not too bad in your household. Thanks for having me. That's James Kelly, Essendon's performance coach and obviously a pretty handy guy, Dale. Sounds like he has a crack at a lot of things, so uh, yeah, good on him. Still to come on the show, we are going to check in with Liam O'Keefe from Flemington, the man who is responsible for making those tracks immaculate. We're also going to catch up with Chris from Grassroots Synthetic Lawns. If you've got a little issue, perhaps a smelly issue with your synthetic turf, (laughs) he's going to be able to help you out. Dale's got some Mother's Day tips for us as well. And in just a moment, we're going to meet the untangled gardener, Sarah Graham, who I think might just have the dream gardening job. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Journalism icons Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin join forces in Don't Shoot the Messenger. Really irresponsible reporting from social media. You know, the mention of methamphetamines, but according to social media, I found that extraordinary. Sport, food, life, news. Since when did we start quoting these anonymous social media sources? Are they actually journalists? Are they reputable? No, probably not. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. Fly flow is a new term, (laughs) along with optionality, another Gillan McLaughlin term. Can I just say optionality is not a word? Welcome back to The Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. 
welcome back to The Sport of Gardening, a show that exists because for many of us, sport doesn't at the moment. In some states, you can get back on the golf course already, but in places like Victoria, we're still under restrictions. And if you're listening to us via podcast, welcome. Or perhaps you're listening to us on Sunday morning right around Australia on SEN on this Mother's Day. I want to introduce you to someone, Dale. Yes. I know you like your Insta. You're right up there. I think you've got the sort of, you know, 80,000 plus oh, followers. Oh, Jane, stop. Please, <laughs> keep going. You can check him out at D on Insta. Instagram, but another person whose Instagram account I am loving at the moment is the Untangled Gardener, Sarah Graham. Welcome to the Sport of Gardening. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Now, Sarah, a quick flick through your Instagram account gives us a little bit of an idea of some of the work that you do. How do you describe yourself? Are you a private gardener, a gardener, a landscape designer? What's the actual uh, job description for what you do? Because I tend to be a bit of a jack of all trades, so I do a lot of garden maintenance. Um, so I guess I often go in after a landscape has been completed. So say, Dale, when you're finished doing a job for somebody, yeah, I would probably go in and maintain maintain it. it. Yeah. Uh, Often I work with a, a landscaper um, so that we work together on what plants are going where and how they're going to look moving forward. So what are they going to look like in you know, two years' time and how are we going to get to the, that, you know, get them to that point? So I do that. I look after gardens. I'm, uh, I do plant selection and placement. I provide lists. I can... I pretty much do everything apart from jump on an excavator, really. <laughs> you can always learn to do that, Sarah. <laughs> I've, I've had a go at it, yeah. <laughs> it's probably a bit scarier for the people watching than it is for me. I'd say a woman with many hats by the sound, Jane. She, um, no, that's it's very true, Sarah. I suppose the biggest, as a landscaper, the biggest thing that we tend to see is, is if you do a nice garden and people have spent the money putting in the plants, um, it does take that proper maintenance to get it to that point where the vision was um, created for. So, um, yeah, obviously if you've planted something and... Um, you wanted the appearance of spheres or something trimmed into them uh, in the long run overall look, um, that's just not going to grow like that itself. So, yeah, it's it's absolutely necessary that you get the maintenance right from an early stage and then it should flow on the way that it was designed for. Yes, I, I totally agree. And it is important because I find people, um, they, they love what's been done, but they don't understand you know, the feeding requirements, the spraying requirements, when things need pruning, when to leave them, uh, when to mulch, all of those things, it, 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 as you know, they don't just stay as they are when the landscapers, you know, leave on that Friday night. It's, there's a lot to, to do to maintain it. Now, Sarah, you mentioned plant selection there. I think I fall into the category of people who are too heavily influenced dare I say, by renovating shows and makeovers <laughs> on TV because I want everything at the end of my episode to look perfect like it's going to look in the House and Garden magazine shoot that will one day come to my house. However, that's not always the best approach, is it? Because with plant selection, you've really got to have a vision of what something looks two years, three years, ten years 
down the track and not just, I want it to look good today. Do you encounter that, that people perhaps need to learn to be patient for things to really grow into their positions in the garden? Completely. Gardens evolve over time. And that's one thing that I have, you know, often have this conversation with my clients. We have to let this develop. Gardens don't just happen overnight. And when you get the opportunity to tour established gardens and you can see how they do change and and some things will work beautifully and other things don't work so you need to allow time to see how that's how that's going to play out because and they're living things you know they get sick they die they need replacing and so you have to you have to take time and being patient is is difficult for some people in a garden because they want it absolutely perfect and the right size now, and that can't happen unless you've got an endless budget, I guess. Well, that's very true. Uh, one of my one of my uh, used to be probably my biggest, um, I guess you'd call it a peeve um, when I designed a garden and constructed it myself was. You'd, you'd go away for six months, um, a year, then you'd come back to check up on it. Um, and I quite actually, I, I've changed my stance on this a lot in um, my years of being a landscaper because I, I quite enjoy it as well these days. But is when people used to go to the nursery on a weekend and they'd come home with 12 different plants that they like the look of at the nursery and they'd incorporate them all through your well-thought-out, well-articulated um, <laughs> design that I'd come up with and squeezed them in amongst plants they don't really fit with. But at the same stage, as annoying that used to be, thinking, no, that wasn't designed to be like that. It's their garden and I love that they're putting their own mix on it and a bit of personality that reflects them in there as well so I think these days just let them go and um, you know if they love it they love it it's their garden not mine true definitely I agree with that completely let them go it is their garden it's like having an interior designer in your home isn't it but you want particular cushions it's your home (laughs) you can do whatever you like (laughs) exactly right it can be frustrating for the person who's come up with the design though I get that part as well Now, Sarah, I think you might have one of the most dreamy garden jobs on the planet because describe to us the area you work in. If you're not familiar with Melbourne, we go right around Australia on this show. We're talking, what, a a 45-minute drive down towards the coast, towards the peninsula. Describe sort of Mount Eliza and Portsea for us. What kind of climate? What sort of plants? Okay, so I'm I'm based in Mount Eliza and I made a decision in the very beginning of my business to go down south towards Portsea as um, opposed to going to Melbourne. So I'm lucky that the entire Mornington Peninsula is my um, backyard, as you could say it, and, and my place of business. And it's coastal, so we do get those sea breezes, um, you know, close, close to the water we have issues with salt. But these days there are so many beautiful natives that you can work around that and, and have either really relaxed coastal gardens and or still a beautiful formal uh, landscape, uh, even, you know, even being close to the sea like we are down here. Um, it's wonderful, I think, because we have a bit more space. A lot of the gardens I look after, you know, are large and you've got so much room to have some choice and, and have 
different parts of the garden. I've got clients with rose gardens and in one area and a total native, beautiful, fresh landscape at the front, completely contrast to what they do at the back. So we're lucky you know, with all of the space that we have here. And would you recommend, it is Mother's Day uh, this weekend, would you recommend that for some people, if you've got the budget, if you know that someone in your family, like perhaps your mum, absolutely loves their garden, perhaps I would suggest, you know, there's people who have been gardeners all their lives who are maybe getting a little older, can't quite, you know, wheel the barrow as much as they used to, is finding someone like yourself in a local area and perhaps gifting the service of a gardener to come in every couple of weeks is that common? Have you ever had that? Or do you think that's a good idea for a Mother's Day gift, Sarah? I've never had that, although I think it's a brilliant idea. I have um, a handful of clients who fit that brief exactly in that they're keen gardeners. They just don't have um, the ability to do it like they used to. And they often work alongside me. So they still love their garden and I'll go and we'll spend the day together and we'll work together. I just do the harder stuff, the digging, the plants, the putting in, and they just follow me around or we work side by side. And I think it's a, a, a fabulous idea and a wonderful a wonderful thing to give somebody. That would be lovely. I reckon that's a great idea, Jane. Yeah, well, people are into services and, and experiences now more so necessarily than always just buying stuff. So there you go. That's my Mother's Day tip. Definitely. What should we be doing in the garden at the moment? Why, well, I've got a feeling that I need to be feeding, weeding and feeding. Is that where you're at at the moment? Definitely weeding. Um, we've had so much rain that everything is just going, well, certainly in Victoria, everything is going gangbusters, um, but that does include the weeds. So weeding, and as we come to the end of autumn, just preparing everything for those cooler winter months. So the ground will start to cool down and, and get to a temperature where things don't like to grow like they do in autumn and the springtime. Um I tend to mulch a lot at this time of the year. Um, there's a wonderful product from a company in South Australia called Neutrog. And Neutrog have this fabulous product. It's called Hooflung Dung. It's um, a bit on the nose. Sounds like a racehorse. It does, doesn't it? It's the scratchings from the chicken coops. And they turn it into this brilliant mulch, which... Um, not only breaks down and improves the soil so that when the springtime comes, everything just jumps. It's getting our gardens ready for those those cool months ahead. So um, mulch is definitely something that I'd be mulching and, and just making sure that everything's... I like in winter to putting things to bed. We're just going to put everything yeah, to bed for a few a months analogy. and then in the springtime, they'll jump. Nice little warm blankie on for the winter. Yeah. And uh, so this, this mulch, who flung dung, it acts as a mulch, not just a fertiliser, does it? It's both. So it conditions and improves the soil, uh, but at the same time, it is a mulch. It's wow. actually a garden mulch. But because of... It, it, Dale, I'm sure you use a lot of chipped bark and, and, and wood chippings and things like that in a traditional mulch sense, but... Yep. Um, this breaks down a lot faster, so it improves the soil and at the same time as putting down that, that layer to 
um, keep the weeds at bay and so on. Yeah, cool. Everything in the uh, garden, Sarah, that is good for it tends to smell. What What's the smell like on this stuff? Uh, when I get home at night, my family ask me to hop straight in the shower. <laughs> so if I've done a day of spreading the hoofong dung, I'm not very popular. It smells it that good, way. yeah. yeah. That's how it you know smells, you've done it. I think it smells good. <laughs> Depends what other people do. I'm sure the plants absolutely love it. Hey, Sarah, key to, um, I think, great plant selection, in my opinion, is to always go to a local nursery around where you're intending to plant. Is that your guideline? Have you got uh, somewhere you'd recommend on the peninsula? I um, I have a few favourites where, you know, don't keep all my eggs in the one basket. You've got to, um, you know, plants are, are like fresh fruit. They change all the time and you've got to have different suppliers. But there's a wonderful nursery down here in Mount Eliza called Diarcos. Um, the guys at Diarcos are brilliant. Their knowledge is second to none. And I think that having a good relationship with your local nursery is something that once they understand your garden and you create a relationship They'll know what you need, what you want. Uh, if something comes in uh, that's seasonal, that you've been chasing, they can follow you up. They'll understand exactly what your garden needs and, and what your, you know, what you like. Some people are very specific about the style of their garden, and if your nursery and your the people that work in the nursery understand that, it helps everybody. Yeah, definitely. Hey, do you know what's something pretty funny, Sarah? We only live probably an hour or so away from each other and we've already got a um, pronunciation um, difference in, in borders almost um, ac across the other side of the um, bay. So I always thought it was Diakos, <laughs> not Diakos. But uh, I'm but probably saying... they've got one over in Geelong, no, I'm they? are, yeah, they have got one in Geelong, which is a great nursery. Um but uh, it's probably just the inner bogan in me saying <laughs> saying it with an A rather than a, an R. <laughs> well, you can be the inner bogan, Dale, and I'll pronounce it my way. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, let's just stick our own guns there, I reckon, Sarah. <laughs> Oh, separated by uh, Port Phillip Bay, but it's a world away sometimes, isn't it, between Geelong and the peninsula. Sarah Graham, otherwise known as the Untangled Gardener. You can find her on Instagram, at the Untangled Gardener. Links to get in touch with Sarah if perhaps you'd like to gift someone her services. And we'll also put links to that fantastic neutral product you've just recommended, Hooflung Dung, and to Diarco's <laughs> as well in the show notes to the podcast version of The Sport of Gardening. Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Dale. Good on you, Sarah. And still to come on the sport of gardening, Dale Vine's got to answer a listener question. We've got a couple of quick and easy Mother's Day inspired gifts for you. And up in a moment, we're going to meet Liam O'Keefe from Flemington. You're listening to the sport of gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. That weekly ritual of enjoying the AFL record is something footy fans have loved for over 100 years. And with the AFL record digital edition out now, the tradition continues. As footy fans, we can still get our footy fix even without the games. Enjoy feature articles from the AFL record analysts, regular footy trivia, a dedicated kids section, nostalgia and more. The AFL record digital edition. All thanks to Karcher. Available at sen.com.au and the SEN app. Welcome back to The Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal.
Welcome back to the sport of gardening. I'm Jane Neal. My co-host is Dale Vine, who has released his own book, Dale Vine's Outdoor Reno Guide, Transform Your Garden on Any Budget. Perfect Mother's Day gift. Oh, Jane. (laughs) Well done. What a great idea. I didn't even think of that. My mum's definitely getting one. Absolutely. Now, we are lucky enough to be going right around Australia on SEN track stations and SEN in Melbourne, in Perth, in South Australia. This man's job must be very, very stressful. Liam O'Keefe from Flemington to make that turf come up trumps every time, that's got to be a lot of pressure. Liam, do you feel that? Do you, do you look out at your turf, at your track, and just go, oh, geez, I hope it's going to be okay for our next meet? Morning, guys. Um, yeah, it's certainly something that we take a lot of uh, care and pride in, and, and it probably comes back down to our, our planning throughout the year to ensure that we've got the correct maintenance practices to have it uh, up and firing for every race meeting. Yeah, now, Liam, I'm a uh, landscaper, mate, and I do a fair bit with turf and lawns as well. Um, Your job actually does fascinate me because even just with foot traffic and and pets like dogs and things running around on on your grass and stuff during uh, autumn and winter months, we tend to have big boggy patches. The grass is obviously going a bit more dormant and it's really... Uh, not bouncing back like it would through spring and summer with the hot weather. How do you actually go about rejuvenating so much lawn as as a racetrack with all the sort of traffic that it gets from a horse meet every week? Yeah, so we've got a mix of three different types of perennial ryegrass and also Kentucky bluegrass uh, in the track. So that grows all year round, obviously does slow down during the months of May, June, July and early August but um, fortunately it has um, good, good recovery um, stages through that grass and, and also um, after both our November carnival and March carnival we carry out a renovation on the track so um, that then bakes us, puts us back to 100% for the next lot of race wings that come up and, and we only get about a five or six week break so it's a little bit tender and new for that first meeting back, but essentially after that we're on, we're on fresh ground. And um, yeah, post each race meeting, we we um, fill any damage or holes um, with sand and and, and seed, uh, and then move the running rail out into the track to to spread that wear and tear across the track, so that when we start off in what we call true position, which is the widest part of the course, uh, we then move the rail out in normally two or three metre increments and. When we get out to 10 metres, we then go back to true, and normally that true position's had about four to six weeks time to recover, and then, and then we start off on that program again. Oh, there you go. It is just a management uh, a management issue. I never realised that, that you're actually gradually working out and in as you go. Well done. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's literally, it's probably no different to a golf course, putting a rope and, and, and pegs out of GUR, ground on the repair, and that area needs time to recover before there's foot traffic or, or golf golf balls hit off that area. So it's no different to racing. Um, we're fortunate to have a nice wide track that we can uh, spread the wear and tear out across and, and yeah, it works in well. Yeah, well, thankfully there's a, a rail in racing and not just a rope for the horses to, um, <laughs> with a little sign for the horses to go around. I don't know if they'd be as um, accommodating as golfers <laughs> would be. No, that's right. It's it's funny, uh, actually, at course, so that's an open public park, that race course, so the public have free access to the actual track to walk around um, and 
believe it or not, they actually do put signs out to keep the um, pedestrians off right on the fence because otherwise they'd create a track around there. So actually they, uh, they, they do have signs at some race courses at a public park. There you go. Liam, how did you get into this industry? I mean, it's a very special field that you're in. Did you do this out of school? Did you do other work and then find your way to Flemington? How did it work in terms of career progress for you? So I grew up in Warrnambool uh, and attended Emmanuel College Secondary School. And um, in year 11, uh, when, when you, your marks probably aren't going to be high enough to go to uni, you get a tap on the shoulder from the careers teacher and, and you've got to look at a trade. And, and to be honest, it was the best thing that ever happened to about 30 of us that were in the class because we got to... Um, pick our trade and mine was sport and turf and, and, and it was either probably going to be golf courses or race courses I was interested in um, and, and started off working one day a week uh, during my VCE at the Warrnambool race course and um, off the back of that um, started an apprenticeship when I completed my VCE so it was a great grounding to start off uh, one whether I liked the job and, and two a, a, a footstep into an apprenticeship and um, yeah, completed my VCA and, and got the job that I, that I always sort of wanted to do. And um, from there, completed an apprenticeship and then also a diploma in horticulture, sports, surf management at Gordon Tate in Geelong. Um, and, and then, yeah, took over six uh, years ago, moved up to Melbourne and, um, yeah, began my job as assistant race course manager. And um, two and a half years ago, moved up to race course manager. So it's been a, it's been a great career progression and, and clubs have been very supportive in our roles and, uh, completing extra studies, but it's worked out well. Yeah, well, it's a bit of an upgrade, Jane, isn't it? It's like going from uh, looking after, say, the, the Warrnambool Footy Club's oval to the MCG straight away <laughs> up up to Flemington. So that's that's a that's a great story, mate, and uh, a lot of local um, training facilities, obviously, as well, to me, in Geelong that you've mentioned there. So well done. Yeah, no, thanks. It's been great. Um, it was, you know, I was at Warrnambool for 10 years and I've been at Flemington for nearly seven years, so... Um, yeah, just when I've been ready to step up for whatever reason, the next door's opened. And, um, yeah, it's, it's the kind of industry, no matter what job you're in, but if you roll your sleeves up and work hard and you're prepared to do the extra studies, um, yeah, you certainly can can go as far as you want. Now, we've seen racing continue throughout COVID-19, mostly in regional tracks without spectators. Do you miss the crowds, Liam? Yeah, it certainly is strange. We had a race meeting um, last Saturday, uh, and and it was it was quite eerie in the fact that our job, no matter if there's a hundred thousand there or no people there, it's, it's the same of preparing tracks and setting up the race course. But um, just out on the day, it was quite eerie in the fact that winners were coming back to scale, and there was there was no applause and that type of thing. But um, we've been very fortunate to to keep racing through this period and keep a lot of people employed and um, everyone's worked worked really hard to achieve the protocols set out by the government and the and the health minister and um, yeah it's, it's been great but certainly do miss the crowd because there's that element especially from the garden side of preparing the um, the, the, the grounds and gardens you, you want to show off your, your, your product and um, yeah just walking down that Rose Arbor every now and again, it's certainly one of the most beautiful entrances to any race course in the world and um, we can't wait to get the spectators on on track to be able to experience that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We will let you get back to the track in preparation for racing on Saturday the 16th at Flemington. Liam O'Keefe, the race course manager at Flemington, thank you so much for your time on the Sport of Gardening. Thanks for having me, guys.
Up in just a moment, we are going to talk synthetic turf. Yes, we're going to meet a friend of Dale's, Chris from Grassroots Synthetic Lawns, and also answer a listener question on the sport of gardening. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. G'day there, gardeners and DIYs. It's Dale Vine here from The Sport of Gardening Show. As you peer out to the front or backyard, trust me, it's a blank canvas. Grab a copy of my book, The Outdoor Reno Guide, and from initial vision to budgeting and execution, I'll show you step-by-step how to transform the humble garden into an awesome space for you and the family to enjoy. The Outdoor Reno Guide will help you create your dream garden. Available via trusted bookstores, Amazon and Booktopia. Welcome back to The Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Welcome back to The Sport of Gardening, a show that exists because at the moment there's not that much sport happening. So we are deciding that gardening is the new great sport in town. People are getting competitive. They're doing DIY projects. They're cleaning out their houses. We're spending a lot more time at home now. So, hey, why not get into the garden? Now, Dale, we're about to chat with Chris Glanz from Grassroots Synthetic Lawns because you love a synthetic lawn as much as the real thing is a great go. A lot of people just can't cope with the maintenance of a synthetic, of a real lawn, can they? No, and it's uh, they're getting very popular, Jane, um, throughout the industry as well. And they look great these days compared to what they probably did five or ten years ago. Um, and I actually walked into Chris's showroom and factory the other day in Geelong there and uh, bought a bit of turf off him. But um, there was a product in there that I caught me by surprise. I hadn't seen it before, and it actually does solve a few um, issues that come with synthetic turf, which is um, the fact that if dogs are weighing on it all the time and it's their only space oh, they've got, yes. uh, when it gets a bit warmer in the weather, um, it actually can start to smell a little bit. So ah. uh, Chris has got a product down there at uh, Grassroots Synthetic Lawn in Geelong. And uh, Chris, mate, what's it called and what's it do? Yeah, thanks, Dale. Now, the product you're talking about is called our P-Off, which is basically zeal <laughs> um, height. Uh, Hang which on a is second. A natural... P-Off. P-Off. That's exactly right. Love it. it. <laughs> and uh, it does exactly what it says. Pretty so, self-explanatory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as you said before, Jane, that um, you know, for years and years and years, we have had that issue. It's not with all dogs, but certain dogs where you'll find the residual of the dog urine does tend to let, let off not a uh, very friendly odour, especially in hot days. And that was traditionally treated in just different ways, people using chlorinated water, uh, using certain detergents and so on, which weren't fantastic and didn't really kill the problem at its source. So with this new product, the, uh, the P-Off or Zeolite, what that does is that's used as an infill when the turf's first installed and also can be used on turf that's already installed. And what that does is basically it kills it at the source. So you don't get that build-up or the crystallisation of the dog urine. And what it also does as well is, you know, turf does tend to get hot in the summer months. And this, once you wet that down for the morning, retains the moisture and will cool that turf down. We're talking around about 15%. Uh, which is another bonus of the product, but um, we've just had some great results with it and it's something now that we're just offering to all our pet owners uh, when they have their turf done. So, um, yeah, very happy with it. Yeah, well, it did excite me, mate, when I walked in there and uh, saw the bag stacked up there and... uh 
and Piaf written on there, I thought this thing is uh, this is a revelation in the synthetic turf industry because um, for a landscaper that does use a fair bit of synthetic turf, it, it probably was one of the the biggest um, complaints I've heard um, with clients. Uh, six months to a year later is that um, it can start to smell and I'd been putting a lot of Aggie pipes underneath all my synthetic lawns so you could really give it a good drenching and and like you said using things such as chlorine and stuff mixed up to try and uh, eliminate some of those odors but this is uh, simple it's easy and and not too expensive either it just comes in a bag what 15 kilo bag was it that I got the other day and uh, you just sprinkle it out and um Put it in with a with a broom or something, a stiff broom like uh, most people do to get their turf sticking up all night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you, what you would do is initially is you'll agitate the turf using you know a coarse broom and get your fibre standing upright. Then uh, very gently just broadcast the the uh, pee off across the top of that and let it go to work. So, so it's definitely okay to install, like, so you've already got the synthetic turf, maybe not done by you guys, but you can actually add it later, even if you laid it a couple of years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. So it can be can be um, put over top of the existing turf, and it's something that we will, as I was saying before, that we will just include that now in all our new installs. It's just your pets. You put this stuff down. What that does is number one is take the heat off us as far as people calling six or twelve months down the track with odor problems, and it's totally organic. It's pet friendly. It's child friendly. Uh, so there's no harsh chemicals in it, which is another bonus. Yeah, we've got massive scope. So we'll combine that with uh, majority of our products, which are, are Sinlawn, which are running the cool fibre. We'll also put that in as well, and that reduces the temperature down even again. So when you look at a lot of your imported products uh, coming in from China and so on, um, if you've had turf before, you'll know that around about 25 degrees upwards, you're not going to walk on it. You just simply won't. Uh, with this stuff, you know, running the cool yarns, the Sinlawn cool yarns, running the infill, even around 30, up to, say, 32 degrees, we're still down on our knees cutting it in. So it's um, it's a massive bonus. Thank you so much, Chris. Mm. How can people get hold of you if they're interested in the pee-off or perhaps mm-hmm. in uh, your turf solutions? Okay, so what they can do is they can find us on our website, which is just uh, grassroots synthetic lawns. That'll take them to the, the website or same deal. They can just type in grassroots synthetic lawns on Facebook. That'll come up as well with our contact details. And um, if they want to give me a call, I can definitely uh, organise to um, either get some to them or they can pop into the factory and pick some up with about six tonnes sitting there at the moment. So that's not an issue. Just a handy six Uh, tonnes. (laughs) Yes, we are going through it. And uh, so it's always in stock. And if they've got any questions or queries regarding that, you're more than welcome to give me a call. Brilliant, mate, and I'll uh, I'll see you soon for some more, I'm sure. But um, no, it's a, I think it's a revolution, Jane. It's uh, one of those biggest problems with uh, synthetic turf, and you know they're onto it. So I love that. And thank you Absolutely. so much, Chris, for sharing a really great tip. I think there's people I can hear around Australia scratching down your details and thinking, I'm going to find me some pee off because really it's a problem, but now you have the solution. Chris, thanks for your time. Thank you both very much and you have a great weekend. Now, Dale, I think it's time for you to give me a Mother's Day gift tip. Jane, my uh, Mother's Day gift tip this year uh, and most years, um, and I also use this for Christmas as well, to be honest, is um, instead of going out and buying a lovely bouquet of flowers for your mum, which is a beautiful thing to do, go to your local nursery this year and um, buy her a nice plant that she can actually plant in the ground or put in a pot. Uh, You could buy it for her in a pot already done. And that's going to live for more than a couple of weeks like a, a bouquet of flowers would do. 
and uh, she'll be able to enjoy that for many years to come and think of you every time she sees it. So it's a it's a ripper. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and reminding it... her that you love her every day. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I really love the idea that it's something that will keep going. The other thing I actually love buying is bulbs. So right in the yes, middle of autumn, great time. bulbs is the perfect time to buy them. You can actually post them anywhere in Australia. We've got listeners all around the country. So you can, uh, you know, jump online, get a little bulb delivery, and then mum chucks them in the ground three months later, I guess, spring, and all of that beautiful uh, sentiment pays off when the jonquils or the daffodils or the hyacinths just spring into life. So I love it. A a nice plant or perhaps even some bulbs. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Now we have got listener questions, Dale. If you'd like to ask Dale a question, feedback at sportofgardening.com.au. Here is your question this week. Hi, Dale. Can you recommend any tomatoes that grow in cold climate and when should we plant? Thanks, Racker. I'm not sure where Racker is listening from. Well, he's talking about cold, so I'm assuming it's probably Victoria. (laughs) Well, I guess the main trick, Jane, is to try and um, get some of the tomato varieties that are going to mature a bit earlier uh, and that way you can beat the cold weather Mm. um, and you're not left with tomatoes sitting on a vine that are just going to go to waste when it gets to that colder climate. Or like my cupboard, 14 jars of green tomato chutney because they never ripen. You think that it's going to be nice. It's not quite the same. Hey, I do love a bit of (laughs) chutney though, so you can send some of those jars to me. Okay, so you're finding something that has a, a shorter time between planting and ripening Correct, to beat yeah. off the onset of autumn and winter next year. Yeah, that's the go. And I'm not a, a specialist in the names of the varieties. I just know that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. You could also, once we're allowed to socialise again, uh, is go and trade with your local growers and, and farmers and all sorts of things like that because yeah. they'll know the varieties that are going to work in your area. Yes, I actually save seed often from my favourite, you know, I'll go to the farmer's market, know where the growers are, save the seed from those tomatoes because yeah. you know that you love the taste. Great tip. It's from your area. I've just been Googling while you were talking, Dale, and I've just found a great list. Sustainablegardeningaustralia.org.au have got a great list of varieties, suppliers, and some of those attributes, like whether or not they're an early fruiter or not. There you so go. Head, That's exactly what you want to look up. There you go. Sustainable Gardening Australia, Racker. Head to their yeah. website, find a variety that suits you in your local region. And hopefully, come what, August, September, you're going to start putting in seeds and then ready to plant by October. That's it. Getting them in your mouth by October. That'll be beautiful. <laughs> hopefully not sitting on the vine. If you would like to ask Dale Vine a question, you can send us an email. Feedback at Sport of Garden. Gardening.com.au. Dale, thank you so much for spending an hour of your Mother's Day morning with us. No, thank you, Jane, and I hope your kids spoil you. And uh, <laughs> remember to bring me in a, a jar of that relish next week. Ah, uh, green tomato chutney, still plenty in the pantry from our last year's harvest. I'm Jane Neild. We've been with Dale Vine. Of course, you can grab Dale's book, Great Mother's Day Gift, Dale Vine's Outdoor Reno Guide, Transform Your Garden on Any Budget. It is at all good bookstores now. And we will catch you next week on The Sport of Gardening. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neild.